So the very next day he took her again upon the clockwork butterfly, and flew this time to the far east, leaving the kingdom in the hands of the stewards and tax collectors again to spoil, traveling as they had before, on and on, slowly, without the aid of the lodestone, stopping often at inns and friendly castles, for he was much loved abroad for his generosity, to rest their weary bodies. After weeks of travel, at last they arrived at the far shore in the city of the rising sun, where he had learned the jeweler's craft and first built the wonderful clockwork butterfly. But this time he was neither attacked nor employed, for even a long way off they recognized the princess by her golden eyes and flowing dark hair. Where his home had not anticipated his arrival at all, here they had been anticipating the day of her return for many centuries, and the prince and princess had barely enough time to land before they were mobbed by joyful citizens dancing and singing and shouting and weeping that the day of their salvation had come at last, and the line of the kings was now restored. Promptly, they were swept away to the great vault, and the steward unlocked it to the celebration of all who were there, and for the first time in all remembered history, barring some supernaturally aged like the princess and other magical sorts, the gates were flung open, and its vast riches were revealed to all. It took weeks to tour its many honeycomb chambers and alcoves and see, much less admire and appreciate, the vast wealth of treasures stored up there. Dresses of long silk encrusted with gemstones like the shell of a crab, brilliant swords that flashed in the reflected light of a thousand thousand shining gold coins, magnificent rings and necklaces and baubles that shone with innumerable hues of light as though the fires of their making still smoldered inside, and great tapestries depicting feats of valor and heroic battles, plates and bowls of beaten gold carved with tiny lacework designs of stars and planets and moons and suns as if all the universe were contained within, and carven wood boxes decorated with pastoral scenes and music boxes that soothed to sleep even the fiercest insomniac, and immeasurable clockwork devices that spun or walked or rolled or sang or flew or chimed or danced. There were fine mirrors of polished glass and chandeliers that hung like gossamer from high vaulted ceilings, and all these but a few of the magnificent treasures that had been stored there, defying the imagination in their variety and splendor. Weeks it took to see, and months to tabulate, and the sheer abundance of these treasures still overwhelmed the prince and princess, such that they did not know what to do with all the magnificent wealth of things. And every night they feasted on the delicacies of the kingdom's finest chefs, and every day they explored the splendid palace to discover that it too had been endlessly expanded and renovated and maintained in the absence of its residents by the diligent toil of its citizens. Barely had a week progressed until the prince and princess were utterly embarrassed by the abundance of riches and kindness, and wanted to give back many of the treasures, but the people would not hear of such a thing, and were offended by the very suggestion. Even the princess, who had grown accustomed to the wealth and splendor of her castle and the variety of the world it traveled, felt somehow ashamed and spoiled by such wealth, and her heart was softened and her head was bowed, diminishing her height and her humility. But while the prince was at first alarmed by this change in her behavior, he discovered that her bowed head and newly furrowed brow bestowed the princess with a new solemnity and kindness that was beautiful in its own right, and he loved her, perhaps less fiercely, but no less strongly. And they stayed in that city, as they had stayed in the prince's kingdom, for several years, but the prosperity and festivity did not endure. For the tradesmen and the craftsmen were complacent in that time, and while their generosity was evident from the many splendid treasures of the vault, they did not toil in the days that the princess and prince were there, and the houses began to fall into disrepair, and the tools grew dusty, 
and the farmers did not sow, while their silos ran bare. And when the prince encouraged the people to work, they assured him they would not, that they had waited their whole lives for many generations to see the line restored, and they had earned their rest. And so it seemed they had. The prince could not deny the splendor of their labors, nor the years that had been sacrificed that they might be spoiled in this way. So slowly, covertly, by means only of his most trusted advisers, he began to sell the splendid things in foreign markets, buying food and hiring workmen to come and live in the kingdom as it slipped into inactivity. He invited fleets of merchant ships to stop in the harbor, men and women who had never known the anticipation of this new returned royalty, who looked upon him and his oft-absent princess as just more royalty with deep pockets and hidden agendas. Occasionally he asked tidings of his hometown, the city of the setting sun, where the tax collectors and creditors held sway, and he was told that the subjects, newly enriched by the generosity of the prince, were growing poor again as the crown taxed them and the castle lay dormant. Indeed, it seemed that both their kingdoms were succumbing to poverty and lethargy. And still the princess, despite her newfound humility, and perhaps because of it, still longed for her castle and yearned, even in the midst of that magnificent, useless wealth, to feel the steady beat of the turtle legs beneath her own. Still she tired of waking up with the same sunrise sea at her window, the same golden walls of the palace, the same rich food and banquets each night, and the same life of luxury every day. But her sadness was a still, silent thing now, cloaking her like a heavy hood, unshakable but also somewhat comforting to her. It was like a lost love with whom she had spent many happy years now torn from her side, but the pain of the loss had dulled in the passage of the years and the many wonders she had enjoyed since then. She tired of the splendid glamour of riches and treasures and wonders, but she secretly did not tire of the prince himself, for he had proven again and again to be capable and giving and loving to her, applying his endless ingenuity to the task of surprising her anew each day, and willing to forego his own happiness for the sake of hers. And while she still longed for the castle, she thought her life there would be better yet by his being there with her. Still she did not yet love him, for even their time together had not rendered him less strange. Still he was hard and rough, still he smelt faintly of filth and decay, and his hair had almost wholly lost its color by this time. But she understood him now, and his love for her, and she respected it, and wanted it. So she did not tell him that she was still unhappy, still longed for her high tower, and still missed the sound of its clock whirring endlessly in the night as she slept, but rather she stole away into the town each day to ask if anyone had heard of it, and passed nearby, or if anyone had seen it aimlessly wandering over the hills or through the sea. They had not, and they were curious why she would seek it out when there were so many treasures at hand, but she would not tell them. And when the town failed her, she wandered out beyond the walls to speak to the villagers abroad for tidings of its passage, and when she found they had heard nothing, she stole away on the clockwork butterfly and asked the people of the far provinces what they had heard of it, if anything. But nobody had seen it, or met anyone who had, and words steadily came back to the prince that the princess was seeking the castle, and that she was unhappy, and he grieved, for he knew his time was now approaching. So one day, as the treasures of the vault began to fail and the last shipments of grain and goods from foreign shores grew thin, he announced to the whole kingdom that he and his princess would go to find the magnificent castle they had lost and the riches that lay within, and that they would return as soon as they had found it to properly restore the royal line. And while many were outraged, more still were silent, 
for there had been many rumors that the prince and princess were not properly wed, and that she had no liking for the prince, and that no heir was expected. Rather, they despaired, fearing that they had given their riches to the wrong family, or before the time was right. And so, even as the butterfly soared up glittering into the glad and sunny sky, the people returned to their labors, grim but hopeful still that a day would come when the royal line would be restored in truth, and that they would need to wait and store up until that day arrived. So the prince left that city as he had found it, poorer indeed, but hopefully no less diligent in labor. 